everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing? I hope everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving as we rolled into the Christmas season. Now that December is underway, uh, I want to start off, Joe, about talking a little bit about uh, the holidays and, and the, its effect on the poker rooms. Obviously, you've been in so many positions. You've been a dealer. You've been a floor manager. You've been a poker room director. So you've seen all aspects of the business. And I want to start off with Thanksgiving. Uh, do you find Thanksgiving especially the evening, being a good poker night? Well, it's interesting. Uh, what has happened in the past for me, you know, this year was uh, it was extremely slow for us. But, you know, we're, the, we're, we're, we're new on the block, as they say, and um, we weren't giving out the money that other places were at that time. Right. My experiences on Thanksgiving have been we get... Early morning, you know, opening the door, you get a decent crowd. I remember, like I said, when we used to open our door when I was over there, you know, in 2012, 2013, four to five tables. I mean, it, it was like the the the, the uh, blowing the bugle and, and the charge of the light brigade. I'd have 45 to 50 people. For some strange reason... I guess they opened the front doors before the side doors now that are right next, um, right you're next to the... talking about Thanksgiving morning? On any morning. Okay. On any morning. So on Thanksgiving, we had about the same, you know, and we were able to pick up another table. And we went pretty, you know, we went pretty strong till about 2, 2.30, maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then tables just started dropping really quick. And, you know, normally at that time... Normally at that time, um, you know, we'd be picking up a table. You know, I remember, I remember that, um, you know, like we would open with four to five, two four tables, and within half an hour, I'd have my first one too. This was like the norm during the week. On Fridays, it was a little stronger, and Saturdays, and mid afternoon, I would lose one or two two fours, but I'd pick up two or three one twos. Well, on Thanksgiving, you know, when I was picking up tables normally, now I started losing a lot of tables. And I was kind of, I guess, left with people who, you know, for whatever reason didn't spend time with family or, or friends, How you know, whatever whatever their, their reason was for being in the room and not going anywhere because I, I don't, you know, I'd always engage them in conversation and ask them, and nah, I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So it'd get very, very slow and... Being that Thanksgiving was is, has always been my favorite holiday, uh, you know, because of my experiences and memories as a child, um, I would leave. Obviously, the next day when I'd come in, I'd see where the thing is. And it was funny because usually at around eight thirty, nine o'clock, we would, on Thanksgiving Day, we'd pick up. Pick up again. Yeah, we'd pick up again. After everybody's done with dinner and uh, exactly. something to do. And, and you know, uh, it was funny because... You know, Christmas Day, where where we worked, where I'm working now, you know, that was always the opening day, opening day of the season. Right. But they'd be closed for the whole day and then open up at night. 
And I remember the first time I ever had to work Christmas, I was like, so, I was like, damn, I can't believe I got to work freaking Christmas and this and the other. But being being of, of Cuban descent, you know, we celebrate, we're very strong on celebrating the 24th, the Latin, most Latin cultures are, and then Christmas with the kids. So by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I was like, you know what, thank God I'm going to, to over here, I'm, I'm tired. And it turned out to be an ex- such a wonderful experience. Everybody was in such a great mood, and I was shocked, you know. I'm opening up the room, getting six, seven, and this is you know before the slot machines, getting five, six tables. Every the fans in this in the stands at the highlight, the ceremonies that they they produce, and it was actually an extremely enjoyable. We were limited to what times we could be open back then, a lot more stricter than it is now. So we'd get there at six, and by twelve, twelve thirty, we were done. And it was like the fastest six and a half hours that, really? that, that I ever had at, at work. Well, what about, uh, you know, obviously South Florida is a location where people come down for the weekend uh, to be with their family that lives here, get away from the, the crummy weather. And uh, do you notice a lot of new people on, a, on a, like a, a weekend, a Thanksgiving weekend? I'm sure you do. Well, to be honest, in our place right now, you do see a few new faces but not as much as some of the other other paramutuals. Yeah. Um, Miami does get a lot of, I'd say, more of the South American, uh, even though right now in South America, they're actually just about to go into their summertime. So you do see some of them here. It's their spring over there now because they're on opposite yeah. seasons than us. I would imagine that, you know, Dania, uh, the Big Easy, which was, was Mardi Gras, Gulfstream, um, you know, their numbers definitely because I know when I worked there, even when I didn't work there, you know, I, I had we had friends over at Gulfstream and and then Mardi Gras. And yeah, there's there's the definite influx because that Hallandale Hollywood area is very big for a lot of the snowbirds. Not to mention the Canadians coming down, and they all start getting here right around the middle of November. Right. So they're right here right before the holiday, and yeah. The, you know, the, I know revenue definitely goes up. We had a very decent November, you know, off of what I kept telling everybody was going to be our worst month, which was October. And it just seems to be a natural pattern. So, yes, there is a large influx of tourists or people who come down to, sp- to spend, you know, like I said, uh, the snowbirds. I want to spend five, four, five, six months here. Right. And the poker rooms definitely pick up in those times. And I can only imagine... That revenue in the slot machines for the paramutuals, like Gulfstream with the horses, I got to imagine their handles definitely go up. And how about behavior? As a floor person, uh, shift manager, that sort of thing, you deal directly with behavior. Are people in a, is it a kinder, kinder, gentler mood? Um, or is it pretty much just things like our usual? You know what decides that? Your regulars. Yeah. Your regulars decide that. I rarely had issues with the tourists coming down, not to say that there weren't some, you know, uh, but for the most part, they're there to enjoy, kill some time. This is what they've planned now for half a year or whatever time they've been away from that area, you know, so um, it all depends, Dave, because, you know, we look at retired people and it's very different now. I remember I used to think as a retired person, that was an old man or an old woman, and obviously you and I are, are 60 years old now, and I don't think at 60 being old anymore like I used to. But right. you have some retired people that are in their 40s and 50s because, God bless them, they've, they've been successful enough to be able to retire at that age. 
and then you have quote your senior your true senior citizens that are you know in their mid to late 60s yes they have some retirement money but they don't have a great deal of disposable money so it all depends on which way you know uh which one of those customers or what percentage of them are coming into your room yeah so the younger ones could get, but most people, like I said, when they're coming down here, they're relaxed. They're not. They're not look, looking to be combative or, or get in, get into you know any kind of situation where everybody else. So each room should would be de- dictating how that is. If you allow these jerks that are in your room to you know do that, you're just going to scare them off to another property. That's all it is. And how about as a dealer? How, are the tips improving? Maybe closer to Christmas? Uh, how does the season affect your tips? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what's affecting tips now, at least in my place. The DP games, the designated player games. We we were the first to allow the dealers to keep their own tips. They were pooling them in everywhere. And when you pool tips like that and the players know it, you may, no, one, no one wanted to do DP dealing because... When somebody would be looking to tip you $100, but they know you've got to share it with everybody who's there, they give you $5 instead of 100 So if you're lucky enough to hit the right players on the DP games, now Christmas is more where I found as a dealer and my dealers where the people were more in a generous giving mood, your regulars, your tourists. In general, my experience has been What's nice about what's nice about dealers will make more money, but not because the tips are that much better, but because they're getting table time. Yeah. When you, you when Just you more work. people in the room. Exactly. So instead of having a dead half hour, you're working. So if you were going to have four dead half hours and you could make fourteen, fifteen bucks, as opposed to maybe on a good day you might make thirty, forty, fifty, but still that's an extra fifty, sixty bucks in the day that you would not have made. Right. Not to say that some of the tourists and some of the people that come down here, but again, when you have people that are fixed incomes or, or they're set in those ways, you know, you, you may not even get the one dollar a hand, okay? And I know that that's you know optional for everybody. And as a poker room manager, I always thanked everybody, no matter how big or small the tip was. I know they didn't have to, and I'm and I was always very grateful. And I made sure my dealers always showed appreciation for any tip. Now your regulars are what usually makes your bread and butter, unless a tourist happens to hit a big hand, which in one way, you're either going to get a very large tip or something that you're going to be so upset at that you wish they hadn't even given you a tip. <laughs> and, and I've seen it. it, it re- it's really sad. How about on bad beat jackpot wins? Uh, do you see, I mean, obviously whoever wins the bad beat is making a load of money and should be. You know, generous. Uh, how well, about the, the people person, around the, the table? The person who makes the lion's share is the person who got beat. Yeah. That person usually gets either 40 50 or 50% 50 percent of the pot, yeah. and then the the winner gets half of whatever he got, and the rest of the table shares. I I have not been involved in that because when they put in the bad beat is at, at, uh, at Miami Highlight, is right at the time they let me go. And it got hit like four days later. I know the person who wound up winning... So you haven't share. had a personal dealing with it? Not not in that sense, but I have had, you know, dealings where I've seen very big, the big slick, you know, the the, the Royal Flush, which was, quote, down here in South Florida, the big money ones. I have seen people hit for $4,000 and tip the dealer 1000 on that, which is, like, extremely generous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I have also been in the pit when when a when a person from I believe they were from Indiana, so Midwest State. They sat down. They hit a twenty-five thousand uh, dollar jackpot at, at the Seminole Classic. Okay, this is in the quarter fifty cent day, Dave. Now we had dealers there that you know those jackpots would get seventy thousand. You hope as a dealer that you get at you know everyone always says oh ten percent, but ten percent. You know, when you're giving out, that's a lot. For me, if I got 5% of any jackpot, I was extremely happy. And you have people who give you even more than that. Right. But that $25,000 one, you know what the dealer got as a tip? One red chip. It's a $5 chip. tip. The people at the table were so upset. Wow. And started insulting this man, cursing him out. He was there with his wife. And, you know, he looked at his wife like going, you know, what the hell did I do wrong? And then I guess the wife kind of got her head. She goes, oh, he goes, well, you won a lot of money. You only gave him $5. He goes, I ain't giving him any more. <laughs> <clears throat> and that was it. And uh, excuse me about that. But that, you know, that was it. So I've been, and I've also been on the on the big end and bottom end of those situations. Not for 25000 but I've dealt hands where in jackpot situations where they've won 5000 and they've They've you know given me five six seven hundred dollars. Five five hundred getting ten percent. That's an amazing tip. I've given out the same amount of money, and you know have received twenty five. They'll give you a green bird, maybe two. I, I always tell the listen. If before you came to work, I told you you'd get a fifty dollar tip in one hand, every dealer would say, "Oh my God, great, that's wonderful." Now you give them the scenario. You know, and I've had dealers, Dave. What do you? Let me ask you something. You're a casual player. Imagine that you're a professional player, okay, or that you're playing at high limits, and you happen to win a ten, fifteen thousand dollar pot of, let's say, assuming you put in fifteen thousand, you put in thirty five hundred of your own money, so your profit is eleven five, okay. What do you what what do you would you consider a good tip yourself? I'm asking you as a, uh, and, and you're not a player who plays those limits. Let me say five hundred, maybe. If you, if you were to give me 500 on a hand like that, I'd, I'd almost want to get up and give you a kiss. Yeah. Okay? Uh, all right? Not, no, because the good player, you've got these crazy players down here that will tip $500. But you're talking about an average person, especially if someone who makes a living at that, you'd be probably very yeah. happy to get $25. Making a living for it. You uh, understand? You know. And some dealers, I've always heard the other. Now, here's the other thing. You push that pot. You sat. That was your first hand as the dealer, and you push that, and you go, well, he should give me at least $100. You know, you're hoping for at least $100, right? And when, when you know the person's profited eleven, twelve thousand, 12000 and all of a sudden they throw you 2 or $3. And I've seen dealers get upset, and I go up at them, and I go, or even times when they don't get a tip, and they know oh, that this person yeah. just won, and then they come, can you believe I pushed that guy? And I go, can you believe that that guy's down about $25,000? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, everyone That's is very selfish and looks at about. it from that point. And I understand that. I was a dealer for a long time. But being that I got into all these situations, I knew that when a person who was generally, and I don't want to say a very generous tipper, but a decent to good tipper, didn't tip me on a big hand, I already knew that that person 
was, you know, more than likely getting their ass handed to them uh, at the table, and this was just getting some of their money back. Well, the reason I brought it up is I came across a story today, and I'm working on a little write-up on it uh, since it's a local casino, uh, Palm Beach Kennel Club, and they have a pretty successful Big Beach. Yes, they beach do. They yes, were up they do. nearing the $100,000 mark a couple of weeks ago, and... Uh, the players at the table were very happy because it did happen at their table when uh, quad queens beat quad jacks. Okay. Uh, the loser of the hand got forty nine thousand five seventy seven. Uh, the winner, obviously, half of that twenty four, a little about half of that twenty four thousand seven eighty eight. And the other six players at the table each won forty one hundred dollars plus. Right. So a nice, uh, nice turnout there. Uh, for everybody at the table, uh, the actual winner of the table was a fellow named Martin Schlossberg of uh, Palm Beach County. And uh, here's the twist on the story: is the dealer who dealt it dealt the hand. Now I don't know what she got. Uh, her name was Cynthia Watson. But uh, the Palm Beach Kennel Club has a <coughs> nice uh, charity tie-in with a uh, children's cancer foundation. And also a, a group called Food for Families. Okay. And she donated four hundred dollars out of her tips. Okay. To this children. Now they never said project. how much she got no, tipped they there. Didn't. You know, maybe she got Mike, four thousand. Maybe she got two thousand. Well, maybe she, she got a thousand. Well, it was about a hundred. There was a hundred thousand that they gave out. Right. Okay. Minus the tax money, on, especially on the big, on the two big ones. I would imagine the guy who got f- close to fifty thousand. Gave anywhere from a thousand to two thousand, and maybe if it was a great player, she got five thousand for you know four thousand forty five hundred. Yeah, I, I don't think she again. Got that much, but you I know, have no idea. If you get ten percent of a total thing, you're looking at almost ten thousand for her there. My guess would probably be knowing how people are and depending on the age. And again, people who are retired and on f- some sort of fixed income will tip you a lot less, and that's understandable. You know, my guess is she probably. Cleared about four to five thousand dollars combined Jeez, from everybody. I, I think that's a little high, but you know, I don't know for sure. Anyway, uh, the point is, uh, you know, with it going into the holiday season, uh, people are in a giving mood, uh, and I'm sure she didn't do it to get any kind of publicity. I'm sure that the house I probably like to ask her, "Hey, can we get this story out?" She said, ah, "I don't know, but I don't know. Uh, I don't I, know listen, exactly what was involved." She had to have wanted to give that money away, obviously. I don't think anybody would have forced her that. They're two outstanding charities to begin with. You but know. you don't see dealers giving up their tip money for anything, do you? Yes, you do. You do? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. 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 Um, there are some, okay, and I don't want to mention her name, but, you know, I ain't giving anything else. They're taking 10%, 12%. But... Dealers, since I've been in this industry, and it's not all of them, but the smart ones, for some reason, and I'm not saying smart ones because they're going to get preferential treatment, although in some places they do, you understand? But they know to take care of the supervisors, you understand? Right. So I'll give you an example, Big Dave. One of my break-in dealers, okay, was told by one of our our biggest DP player, okay, he goes, give me pocket aces right now with the amount of money he had. He goes, and I'll give you a $2,000 tip. Well, lo and behold, the guy wakes up with pocket aces. And he goes, are you going to give me the two? And we had the yellow, well, in our place, yellow $1,000 chips. He took two chips and put it right there. 
Put it right True to there. his word. True to his words. Put it in the box. This dealer had no obligation to do this, but he felt like this. He wound up giving every other dealer that was working on the floor $50, and there was, I believe, five or six others, and then left 400 for the supervisors. Oh, wow. That's very nice. Okay? Now, that goes above and beyond, but that dealer's... Uh, it's a little harder now because they get, you know, once the money goes into the box, in the past we were able to open it up. To do, Now we can't. The keys are, you know, up in the front because of IRS. But if they feel, you know, hey, listen, I need to get it, they can go up there, take it out in front of them under the cameras. And that's what this gentleman did for us to be able to, you yeah, know, for is. him to give out the money to the dealers. And what they used to do before, Dave, in a lot of places before, we, well, Dania, I don't know if they still do this now that Dave Bergman's in charge over there, but at the end of the night, as dealers checked out, I would take their money, put it into, you know, take the percentage that was for the supervisors and the brush out of their pay, so now their chips are there. I'd say at least half of them would always go, yeah, you know, here's 10 for you, here's 15 for you, here's 5 dealer had a great night, had a lot of high hands, or hit the best tippers on the big game, you know, they've given us 50 bucks. Yeah. They don't have to. They're already getting taxed on that money. Now, right. granted, they're not getting taxed on that $50 or 10 or whatever they're giving us, but the rest of the money, they're going to get 12% taken out, and 10 of that is going to the supervisors. Well, just I wanted to bring that up. A holiday season uh, underway now, and I just... Uh, Want people to to take care of their people at their rooms. A lot of people are completely against tipping, and uh, you know, no, there's no reason to be a Grinch uh, in the poker room, is there? No, but that's how it is. And some people love operating under under those you know conditions because it knows that, believe it or not, here's the bad part of that, Dave. If everybody at the table is tipping normally and some generously, and I become the a-hole at the table who doesn't tip and everything else, players change the style of play against you. And they get upset, and now they want to take you off. And those players that, that do that, knowing that their opponent is going to be pissed at them, and they go, okay, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take care of the, the, the girl or the guy dealing you know, because you're, 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 you're a jerk. Now they start playing wrong against you, and these people generally take advantage of that. So... Sometimes there is a, a, a you know the, the a, a reason for the madness that they do this, and obviously there are just some people that are just cheap as hell and yeah. and you know miserable. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's take our first break. Uh, we want to talk about the Seminole Hard Rocks uh, Rock and Roll Poker Open, which is in the main event right now. Uh, there's also a couple other big events: a twenty-five thousand dollar high roller, there's a five thousand dollar event, an eleven hundred dollar event. And then the championship. So we'll go uh, over that and what's happening there. It is day three of the uh, main event, which uh, will conclude with the WPT final table that will be televised on Wednesday, taped for television and live streamed on Wednesday. So we'll get to all that when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line. And I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. And as we head toward Christmas, a a terrific holiday season. Uh, Hanukkah for our Jewish friends and uh, Kwanzaa for for people out there as well. There you go. I don't know. We I don't know when that falls exactly. But <laughs> it's usually the holidays <laughs> usually fall all over fall right around that time. Exactly. So. But we're into December and uh, 
I hope everyone has a great time and be nice to, you, to your friends and uh, even people you don't know. We'll be back with more of the show right after this. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. It is with sound mind and body that I, James Fredericks III, after fighting with all direct family members for decades, leave my entire fortune of $32 million to the one friend I had in the end, the package delivery guy, Matt Songer. Woohoo! Yeah! I had a feeling about this. Uh-huh. I'm rich! Oh, this cannot be happening. Actually, it's not happening. What? What? And it never will. I don't get it. There aren't even people here. That's just one of those murmuring sound effects. Seriously? Listen, if you want to have money in your future, don't rely on luck. Huh. Put 10 bucks away each month. Cook once in a while instead of eating out. Okay. Pay down your high-interest credit cards. Right. Small changes today, big bucks tomorrow. So, no inheritance? Uh, no. Go to FeedThePig.org for more free ideas. FeedThePig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And just to be clear, no inheritance, right? WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro, is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events. NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez, and talk a little bit about uh, the Seminole Hard Rock and their Rock and Roll Poker Open, which is a WPT uh, main event. Well, I... Uh, how long is it going? Is it there? You said they're in the finals now. They're in day three of the main. They started back on November twentieth, and they'll finish up the middle of this week. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm planning on being there Wednesday uh, to see it. Uh, no, well, not to play. I, I just want to. I think the seniors was today. Oh, really? No, no. I just want to stop by because I I know that some of the you know heavy crowds are still going on the weekends, but uh, right, right. you know I'm gonna probably enjoy it early on Wednesday and uh, into the early afternoon before doing my uh you know my my grandfather duties of picking up my grandson. <laughs> right. Well, the Seminole Hard Rock has uh, their big event in August, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, uh start off with a 10 million da- uh 10 million dollar guarantee on the first couple of years, then drop to 5, I think they're down to 3 now, but this one is a 2 million dollar guarantee uh on the uh Rock and Roll Poker Open. And uh, they beat last year uh, as far as the total players. The first day, there was two days, two opening sessions. Uh, The first day, they had uh, 447 players. And the second day, uh, just a few more as they finished with 988 entries. Uh, Last year, they did 898. So uh, they went up by 90. And they are into day two, uh, went into day two on Sunday. And today, on Monday, uh, as we do the show here, uh, they are day three 
and they will and they play had down. almost a thousand people, right? You said nine eighty eight. Nine eighty eight, and uh, what was the buy-in? The buy-in was thirty five hundred. Okay, so they got a uh, little over three million dollars. Yeah. I think the guarantee was two, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, uh, they uh, went down, played down to a hundred. Let's see. Uh, after day one, they played down to let's see, about 380, I think, uh, going into day two. Played down to 68. Uh, among the 68 today that started day, Steve Carp was still alive. Good for Steve. Uh, Jessica Dolly and uh, a lot of the. Big name Florida players, along with a lot of huge names, Eric Seidel and and uh, players like that, uh, uh, doing very well in this tournament. And uh, we'll give you an update. Last I saw, they were down to 22 players. They'll play down to maybe 18 or so, and then play down to oh, the they're final six. Be, they're going to be. They're going to. Oh, Wednesday is the final Wednesday's, table. Wednesday is the final table with the TV taping, so they'll play down. Uh, is it open to the public? Yeah, it sure it is. Yeah, to watch, sure. Oh, I'm, I'm see if I get it. Well, I don't know how early they're going to start that. It's probably going to be a nighttime thing to no. get the most. Prom- no, no, usually, usually about two o'clock or so, one oh. o'clock, two o'clock. I'm going to see if I can make plans to be there for a while. Yeah, you haven't really gone to see too many of these, so I would, uh, you know, I think it's good for your experience to uh, see how they run things because it's a totally different situation with the black curtains and kind of a really cool feel to the place. Well, uh, you know. Like I said, I've enjoyed watching the main event final table. Now that they, you know, they're doing it on that fifteen twenty minute delay, whatever, uh, you know, whatever it is, I enjoy that. I don't like watching stuff six months later. Yeah, you I know, you. I've never been a big fan of that. But uh, you know, live, I mean, I'd love to support a, a, a friend, you know, uh, or local. Well, local looking down the player. list, I think the closest thing you could find to a friend is maybe Jerry Wong. <laughs> Who's a local, I wouldn't mind a local supporting Steve Carp. I wouldn't mind supporting well, Steve Carp. Well, he's out. Carp. He's out now. Oh, you just, yeah, oh, he okay. started today. He was in today. He finished about 43rd, I think. Uh, Aaron Mermelstein, you ever met Aaron? He's no. down here as well. Uh, Jonathan, or uh, Victor Figueroa, maybe? I don't know. Well, I, I, you probably don't know him by name. Listen, you run into so many people in my position over the years and you don't know how many times it gets stopped and going, Joe, this, that, and the other, including employees that have worked for me and stuff like that. And I'm like, I can't remember their names because it's hundreds yeah. of them. You well, know? And, and people go, well, how do they remember your name? I go, because I was either their boss, I trained them. <laughs> so, you know, they came to play in my room all the time, but it's hard to remember all those players. Uh, just to give you an idea, chip leader Danny Fuse. With uh, 3.75 million chips, but there's a bunch of players right around the 2.9 million mark. Cesar Fuentes, Jonathan Jaffe, uh, David Novosel, and Jerry Wong, all right in that area, uh, second through fifth, and with about 2.8, 2.9 million. And there's still 22 players. I'll give you an update here in just a second. But they're also having the high roller, uh, which uh, drew 40 players. Jason Mercier is playing in that one. And uh, a lot of big names in that one as well. And uh, there's also the 5,000 and 1,100. So uh, we'll update you in just a second on some of those. But um, the first big tournament they have with the new Guitar Hotel. And uh, a couple of guys here, uh, Gio, yeah. my producer, and, and, and Joe were there last week. Uh, checking out, you said you were going to head over uh, there. Yeah, and you when, you, there yet, when, right? when you tell our listeners, Joe, that, that's Joe <laughs> Costello, not me, but uh, I'm going to head out there Wednesday for sure. I'll be there. And uh, 
now our good friend Tony Burns is no longer the tournament well, he, director, or is he running he's this the first direct, tournament? He's the po- marketing director, marketing of director of poker. So, so he's still involved. Uh, I did hear. Uh, I don't know if I can expose this, but I did hear who was going to be replacing him as the tournament director. But I, I guess I better not say until I get permission. Alrighty. To, to release that, because that may be sensitive. No, I'll right hold now. your secret after we're off the yeah, air. Yeah, I'll tell you so. during a break who it is. Uh, so anyway, they are uh, battling it out. And let's see if I can get a latest count is down to 18. So uh, I would think that they're going to play through the end of the level, but that's going to be about it. So uh, we'll check that out. In the high roller, they, have, uh, f- they started with 41, and they currently have... Uh, let's see, six, thirteen left for that. And uh, Jason has 198,000 chips. Looks like the chip leader is Lazaro Hernandez. Who you, uh, you might know that guy. Let me show you a picture. You know this guy? He's from Miami. Yeah, I've seen him before, Laz. Um, but it's been so long. Yeah. It has been so long since I've seen that man. Anyway, he's the chip leader with 642,000 chips. And uh, second is Bryn Kenny and other big names that are still alive in this one. Jason has 198,000. Sean Winter, 257. And uh, Anthony Zeno, 334,000. Darren Elias, 202,000. Anton Wig, 371. So uh, that's your field in the high roller. They also have the... the uh, $5,000 tournament, and let's see how they're doing in that. I think they might be done for the day in that one, but uh, they had a good turnout for that one as well. Uh, 88 players down to the final five. Uh, Ray Quartemi, Scott Margerison, the former champion of the uh, Seminole uh, Showdown. Uh, Joey Weissman, who's originally from Boca. Uh, Manny Loser, who's uh, an up-and-coming European player, and Tim Flank are the ones remaining in that one. And then there's the $1,100 uh, tournament as well. And uh, let's see if I can get a count on that one. I cannot. I'll get that during the break, and we'll bring it back. But um, I'm going to maybe head over there tonight after we get off here and, and see uh, if I can see a couple of players. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you. Did I mention that Jason and Natasha had a second baby? Well, you told me that they that they were expecting, but I didn't yeah, know they, they had, had the, the baby, baby already. Yeah, I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl, but uh, very curious as to how he's going to balance his plans. Obviously, with their first child and and after getting married, uh, they and their other got child is the only a couple of years old, yeah, right? He's so like about two and a half. Let me now, tell you, I know how that is because my oldest to middle one are only three years apart, and. It now becomes a lot more responsibility, so... Yeah, for sure. But he's kind of stepped away from the game a little bit, and now has played a little bit. He won a high roller during the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open and uh, has been doing very well. So, um, you know, do you get back on the horse and, and just ride it back into town, or do you just... I think you can just uh, uh, hit and miss and Well, pick, let me ask spots, you something, right? because I have found myself to be in this position and being that you, you know... You've you've worked in in, in country, exclusive country clubs also and everything else, and you've played a lot of golf yourself. Has, has there been a time when you took a significant time off from playing golf, and then all of a sudden you come back? And I don't know about you, but when I've done that, for some reason I have forgotten all the bad habits. And that first day, I go, damn, why did I stop playing this game? 
you know, you, you concentrate on what the basics well, were. Well, that usually on the happens if it's, short, if it's a short amount of time. Well, no, I'm talking about like the very uh, first time. Nine or ten months and or something. And then you remember it, right, you know, right. exactly. I'm not talking but, about taking five, ten years off. But by off. the end of the round, the bad habits have crept in. Some of them have, but you, but you realize, oh, wow, you know, if I stay to the basics, you, you know, you, you, you constantly go back through that. And to be honest with you, when I've taken time off from playing poker, I kind of go back to the to basic you know, especially if I'm playing with people that I don't know instead of people that I used to always play with. If it was a private game, I took a breather. But with players I don't know, I, I kind of, you know, defaulted back to playing basic. And not to say every single time, but I'd say a very large percentage. The first first session or two, maybe three, it's like, wow, why did I stop playing this? And then usually by either the third, fourth session, you, you, know, you get smacked around a little bit. Right, and you go, right. okay, t- time to time to start, uh, you know, implementing some of some of the other things that, you know. Again, I think it's just your frame, you know, you know, the the state of mind that you're in, and that you're relaxed, and you know, you don't have the stress of when you were playing every single day, right. where the bad beats. If if you're running through a stretch like that, you're like, you know. Man, nothing's going right for me. You're frustrated. Hey, you take a few months off. You come back, and you know you, you didn't have a losing session for a month in a row. You know, <laughs> you're you're relaxing. Maybe you make clearer decisions. You're not stressing, and and you kind of feel a little bit of the fun again. You know, yeah. what, what got you? You know, what made you get so excited about that? And and like I said, I've had it happen to me in golf and and in poker when I've taken, like you said, no more than. For me, when I felt like that in both games, it was usually somewhere around the six-month period. Right. And I came back and had fun and usually had decent success, you know. And like you said, then in golf, the bad habits keep creeping back in for some reason. And in poker, you know, you start making the bad reads or the bad calls. So, Yeah. Uh, For me, it was much different. Uh, I actually... Went from a, a lifestyle where I played probably four times a week for an entire year, and just quit cold turkey and didn't play for five years. A uh, golf? Yeah. I haven't picked up a golf club, you know, to play to play a uh, competitive round in about fourteen years, and probably the fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years prior to that, like you said. I mean, mine's was playing more with my friends and stuff like that, but it was just such an enjoyable experience. Even when I wasn't playing well with them, I was playing easily two times a week, and at points there was three and four times a week that I'd be out playing, and and I couldn't wait to get out there. No matter how good or bad the round was, it'd still frustrate me, but I had such a, so much fun being out on the course, you know, just listening to the wind and the sun and playing, you know, you know, doing goofing around with your friends. So I didn't, you know, I think I, I didn't, I didn't appreciate the being outdoors and the scenery of a golf course, except when you played. You went to a real nice course that was, you know, spectacular. What layout, was your handicap? I the lowest I ever got was a four, but that was four. coming out of high school uh, when, I, when I was on the golf team and uh, was probably going to play in college. I yelled for a lot. <laughs> I never but came close. For the most to time, I was about a ten, I would say. So that when you say you're a ten, you're shooting what high seventies, uh, low eighties. Low eighties. You know. I remember you, the first once in a while breaking eighty, but most of the time eighty-one to eighty-four yeah. or something like that. Listen, I remember the first time I broke a hundred. You know, I was all excited. That's when I first got down here. Then when I decided I want to, you know, I want to be a little bit more competitive and 
my friends got in, started improving way before me. So you know, I got real serious with it. Even got a tra- you know somebody to teach her. And I remember the first time I broke ninety, and I was like, wow. And I don't think I've broken. I think I broke eighty once, but it was on a very easy golf course. So I will not. I will not lie to you. And tell you that you know that it, that it was a hard course, but I still took credit for breaking eighty. And I, that's the only time in my life that I broke eighty. I shot seventy-two once in competition. Wow, I think that was the lowest that I ever shot. In a, in a competitive round, yeah, but you a felt tournament like, yeah. where you counted every shot. You was that was that out was that par for the course? It was. All right, it was. Uh, shot thirty three in high school once on a nine hole course. I I well on um, what's the one that's uh, off of sixty seventh Avenue in Miami? I think it's a Miami Golf Club uh, golf course. I don't know how oh, hard Country it Club is. Of Miami. Country Club of Miami. That was it. I remember I had a, a an incredible nine hole thing where I shot, like you said, around, I shot, like, I know it was, I, I don't know, par was 36, and I think I shot either a 34 or 33, and I just couldn't believe it, you know, that I, that I had shot around, I mean, a nine-hole round that low, so, yeah, unfortunately, I, I had to play the back end of that, <laughs> of that 18 uh, that day, it wasn't the back end, it was the front nine, came right back to reality. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, High Roller got their 41st player. They're closing out the entries there, and so they just passed the $1 million mark that these guys are playing for. In that one, uh, just uh, 25000 you said, right? Twenty-five five, yeah. Uh, let's see, 41 players, and I think there is uh, 14 left now. So, uh, Anyway, let's take our last break on the show. Uh, we'll take a look uh, at uh, an unbelievable hand that I wanted to talk about last week. We never got to it, and I wanted to talk about that. And if we get a chance, we'll talk about uh, another article from the dealer chick and uh, see what oh, you think. Oh, I, I really want to hear that. Okay. We'll be back. We'll finish things up when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line. You can always pick us up on SoundCloud, on the Poker Fuse podcast page, on Hold'em Radio Network, on iTunes, any place you get your podcasts. Or you just go to PokerActionLine.com and check it out there as well. We'll be back with our final segment of the show. When we return, you're listening to Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. 
The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. The odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. This is the sound of salmonella gyrating on your undercooked chicken. And it looks like Mom might be taking it out a little early. Don't let salmonella get funky with your chicken. On average, one in six Americans will get a foodborne illness this year. So use a thermometer to cook each type of meat to the right temperature. Keep your family safe at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Final segment of the show, Big David Joe here on uh, a post-Thanksgiving night. Did you get enough food? Uh, did you eat some turkey? Actually, actually, this was probably the least I've eaten in the last, since I was a child. I had to work and just wasn't hungry, you know, when the time came for it. I, you know, I hadn't built the, the no, I'm usually off on Thanksgiving and this is probably the first time I've had to work in many, many, many years on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I enjoyed my meal. But I I didn't go overboard like I usually do on Thanksgiving. Okay. Well, you got you can make up for that in the, <laughs> in the month of December. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. Uh, there's one hand that I meant, may have mentioned on the show. I can't remember if we talked about it or not, and I apologize if we did. But uh, I just thought it was so incredible. And uh, I got a couple of related questions to it. First of all, in a big hand, when one guy says, do you want to run it twice? Do people usually say, yeah, okay, and why would you do it? Well, you're limiting your risk, and it was actually, I asked a very, very, well, I, I don't I don't think I should mention it, but it was the guy that came in 10th uh, on oh, the main Oh, uh, Alex uh, Turiansky? Yeah, he, he advised a gentleman that was playing in this game, and uh, I didn't hear it from Alex. This guy told me that Alex is the one who told him that. So he always refused to run it twice. Now, I'm not talking about pre, pre-flop. I'm talking about after the flop. And this guy says, no, why would I want to give this guy a chance if I have, you know, my hand is, is very, very strong. And uh, Alex's explanation is that you're doing, according to him, his words, was that he should run it twice because at worst, you're only going to get, you're going to get, you're going to break even. Yeah. The, the guy can't beat you twice. But he could get lucky every now and then and win the one. You're going to probably win it twice anyway with the strength of your hand. Right. You understand? Um, so you're going to win it twice. So what you're doing is you're protecting yourself on the one time that he happens to hit it on the bottom. The bad one. The bad one is the bad one is is when he hits it on the rare occasions on the bottom when you would have obviously swept. So. He just says the percentages are in your favor. Yeah. And if actually and, and then sense. and and the reverse is if you're behind but know that if you hit your card you're gonna win, you only want to run it once because you can only hit that one hand once. You you so in essence you're giving up a chance to scoop the pot by running it twice if you get lucky. And if you happen to hit it on that first one, you're really pissed off because 
damn it, I would have swept the whole pot. You can only win half, while the argument on the other side is you can only break even. You know, you can. You, the worst you're going to do is 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 get your money back. So, um, but yeah, I've seen people, and I've seen this actually lead to some serious, serious. Where I thought we were going to have chairs thrown, where one guy goes, "Oh yeah, I always run it twice," and on one, you know, did it, did it, did it, and then on one particular hand, that person decided, "I don't want to run it twice." Wait a minute, you said you run it twice all the time, you know, and it's like. It wasn't because of the fact of how uh, for what I remember. I couldn't even remember now the reason why, but you know he changed his mind, and the other people's kind of like saying, "Hey, you, you you went back on your word." I actually had a similar situation in a, in, an, in a game that I was playing in, where the guy looks at me. I was in, I, I would always be I was to his right. I'd always be the small blind, and I don't know if you've had this scenario, but the big blind goes, "Do you chop blinds if nobody calls?" I said, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. We kept chopping, we kept chopping, and then one time he goes, oh, I can't chop now. Oh, you can't chop now. Well, you know, and I got very upset. I said, all right, no problem. The problem that he had was he had a very strong hand, but I had an even stronger hand. And I pounded him to death with that. And then I looked and somebody goes, hey, this is what happened. And the guy was sitting right next to me, I'm telling you. This is what happens when you go back on your word and you're an asshole, you know. And <laughs> karma, karma. And, yeah, kar- karma's a bitch, and she likes to come up and slap you in the face. So, and and again, I had the stronger hand. I was just upset that we had chopped quite a few times over the hours that we played. Now that he had a strong hand, he didn't want to chop. So it's the same scenario here, you know. So if you agree to it, now usually, Dave, I don't know how many times you've been at the table. They're talking about getting it in. And this is where the bad part is, but I guess if it's a private game, it's like, if I go all in, you want to, we'll run it twice. You're almost like giving it, an, an, now, they can agree to it if it's uh, the only two people left in the, in the hand, obviously, uh, to make a bet. But um, I've seen it both ways. You know, I have sat at the table with, you know, forty, fifty thousand $50,000 pots where somebody goes, I, I don't run it twice. I don't care what the scenario is. I never run it twice. Mm. My guess would be they've taken beatings on the bottom half one, and you know they get pissed off and say, "I ain't running it twice anymore." Well, just as a as an aside, there's a couple of uh, poker sites. One of them is Phil Galfon's site, which is called Run It Once, and then there's also the Reno tournaments called uh, Run It Up Reno. <laughs> run It Up Reno. But anyway, let's get to this hand. This was during the Caribbean Poker Party. During the Super High Roller Bowl Bahamas, which was just uh, in the middle of November. And this was in a cash game. Uh, and the pot got up to, both players shoved, they got the pot up to $400,000 in the pot. Uh, one player was holding Queen 9 of clubs. And the other player was holding Jack 10 of spades. The flop was 9-9 nine, nine queen. Yeah, incredible an, flop. An incredible flop for the for the one player. The other player uh, did have the nine and the queen on the flop, but were spades. Were spades. So you would think that uh, the player who had the f- flop the f- the the full house figures, you know, I'm pr- protecting myself. Now remember, you get, getting the straight flush. Remember, the one thing you said is they got it all in 
They they didn't get it all in until after the flop. Yeah, I guess you're after the flop. After the flop, Actually, all right. Pre-flop? All right. After the flop is you know they yeah, after the, the whatever the betting right. was pre-flop they they saw each other. Yeah, they wouldn't have. That board came out that. and they both went all in, and it, and I would imagine at this point they've decided to run it twice. Yeah, they decided to run it twice. Uh, the first two cards. Uh, Ace, Ace now, of well, clubs. Now, to our listeners, okay. just so you understand this, for, for any novice players, you know, knowing the hand that, that, that the person who was trailing had, okay, there's only two ways that he could scoop the pot. He'd be very lucky to get half his, you know, to split the pot, but there's only one way that he could scoop this pot. So go ahead and finish well, that's it. And that, it was, that's and the that's hand. That's exactly what happened. There was a... Uh, an ace of clubs and the river on the first flop was the eight of spades. So that gave him the, the lower low, end. The queen the high straight flush. Exactly. So the second run out is a king of spades and seven which of gives clubs. Him the, which gives give him, him the, the, the king high straight flush. Right. The only two cards in the deck, and one had to come on one end of the board, and one had to come on the other for him to scoop that. So pot. you've heard of one outers. Well, this is a one outer twice. Well, and and I don't know if you remember the story that I told you. It didn't involve a straight flush over a full house, but it was the exact same scenario where uh, our our good friend Duran that I told you about. It was a uh, this was a uh, a pot limit, uh, you know, uh, uh, Omaha. Excuse me. And um, they had about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars in that pot. You know, people were potting it. There was a crazy game with people calling with just about anything. Four, five players saw the flop, Dave, of two, four, five, all off suit. One player goes, "I pot it, fold, fold, fold." Duran goes, "I repot," and you know they just keep going back and forth until they get it all in. There was about thirty-four thousand dollars in that pot. Player number one is holding pocket fours. All Duran has is a deuce and a five. He's got bottom and top pair. So seeing that the other player has trip fours, there's only one way that Duran could possibly sweep that, that, that hand. A five on top, that would give him fives full of deuces, and the other player would have fours full of fives, and the five on the bottom. And the reason I know this is because I dealt the hand and I put a five on the top and a five on the bottom. And uh, I have a feeling we might have talked about that one on the show. So <laughs> I don't know if we, we did or not. It, well, if we did, if we story. did, then then we did. We talked about it with this. Well, hand again, this our part. apologies to you if if, if we did. But uh, pretty interesting that just about well, anything can happen. Well, any other new listeners does. who didn't catch our show exactly. last week can enjoy that again. So. Exactly. Uh, the last thing was uh, an article about by the uh, the dealer chick. On, in Card Player Magazine, it talks about uh, the etiquette of checking. And uh, really, there's no excuse for someone not paying attention and missing someone, whether they checked or not. But it happens Just all sitting the time. there and thinking, uh, well, I wish this guy would make a play, and he's already checked. And uh, the, maybe the dealer didn't see it. Uh, but who's the res- whose responsibility is it to see that and make things keep moving? Well, okay. There's a lot of different problems, and I don't know if she addresses this in the rest of the article, but you got players who do this. And wiggle their finger. You can barely see it. They did it, and you're like, sir, the action's on you. As a dealer, and as me training people who, who, have, who have, you know, I always tell the dealers, tell them the action's on you, okay? And some people will move, some people, believe it or not, 
there are people who think they've acted or don't realize that it's on them and they're looking right at you. And I'm like, sir, the action's on you. Right. And you know, you don't want to badger them because they may be thinking. And after a while, people are like, hey, let's move the game, dealer. Sir, the action's on you. Sir, the action's on you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I had already acted. You know, they're daydreaming, whatever the reason is. Um, I put the responsibility always on the dealer. The dealer runs the table. So if someone has delayed a game, find out if they're thinking about it first. Get a response from them. It's not always easy, though, Dave. Mm -hmm. You know, in today's day and age, the way they play the game today compared to how they did, and some people get really upset about it. But the table starts taking over. Buddy, you take it forever. Come on, let's go. And, you know, obviously what starts pissing them off is, like you said, Hollywooding, like we've seen in the tournament. Right. And then they fold their hands. So... To me, the person responsible is the dealer, and you know, then you give 25% of the thing to the player paying attention to where the action is so the game moves. I guarantee you it's usually, in my opinion, for the most part, it's self-policed. People on the table will start pushing them. Right. Uh, she has a couple of funny lines in here. She said, you know, you really don't know sometimes. Uh, you know, she said, did you really check or did you just scratch your shoulder? Did you really, did you check or did you just blink because you had something in your eye? Exactly. And guess what? Angle shooters will use that. You'll say, you'll look at it, think it's a check, 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 check. And he sees that everybody's checking out. He goes, hey, I didn't check. They've just gotten information that these people have weak hands behind them. And, and now what usually happens is a smart dealer will call the floor over. I asked the gentleman. He made a motion that I thought was a check. He didn't stop me. Check, check, check. As a floor person, I always say, sorry, buddy, you don't have a chance to check anymore. I mean, you don't have a chance to bet anymore. Yeah. Action's been, pa you know, has passed you. Right. Here's her best line, though. She says, uh, the slight nod of your chin uh, and uh, a, a blink, she goes, is kind of code for, hey, girl. And she says, if you nod and blink, am I supposed to give you my number or burn a card? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one that she, that she can say that. Yeah, so. she's funny. Uh, but that is funny. That, that's cute, you know. But, again, uh, you kind of expect players to have the same regular checking motion and not do something different each time? Yeah. Do you say something about like that? Most poker players, that's the reason there's a uh, – Mike Carroll made a living to with books of tells. Right. If they play in the same way, they usually act the same way. You remember – if you remember, um, uh, he won the uh, – Jerry um, – he won the main Jerry event. Yang. Jerry Yang, when he was on our show a few years ago, and I asked him about it, and one of the things that he said, he goes, he made sure to take 10 seconds. He counted in his head before, before he, he made, made a, a, move. a bet, a raise, a, a fold, a call, a check, whatever, okay, because he didn't want anybody to get a read on him. And in general, Dave, the large population will have the same checking motion as this, you know, and, and like I said, good players see that. So as a dealer, you should be able to pick up on it, especially if it's a regular. If it's a new player to your table, somebody you've never seen before, myself, when I was dealing, if they weren't, you know, if they didn't do this on the table, pop their hands, or, you know, I'm good, no, I check, they you know, knuckle the table, they'd make a slight motion like that. I'd go, sir, is that a check? And I wanted to get a verbal confirmation. Yeah, exactly. Once they gave me that verbal confirmation, now it's my job to pay attention that he's making that same move. 
that I wasn't clear on whether, you know, he was checking or thinking. Now he told me, now the next time around, now it's also the duty of the next dealer to do the same thing. Exactly. You know? Well, she agrees with you completely. She says uh, it's pretty funny that most of the confusion could be avoided if people just followed that one rule. Verbal is binding. Always. And, and, and it's amazing. I have said that to so many people. Also, here's another one. People hear somebody missed call a hand, whether it's by accident, intentionally. I mean, I've seen people who study the table, and they've seen they've seen Big Dave Lemon here before he turns his cards over. Hear somebody say a flush. The flush hasn't been tabled yet. The person has said, "I got a flush," and the other opponent can't beat a flush and mucks his cards. And then this person turns over a spade in a club and he goes, "Oh my God, I thought I had a flush," <laughs> and the other person's pissed off because they could possibly you know, beat the hand that he had. Now that I know you're folding those hands, or. If, even if the person did have the flush, but I realize that Big Dave folds his hands before anybody on the table, before that person tables his cards, I may take a shot at you with that. I may take a shot and go, hey, I've got, you know, I got a full house. Oh, my God, that six looked like a nine to me. I thought I had nines full. You know, your cards are in the muck. What do we do? <laughs> so I always tell people, you know, show, show down, show the cards, like you said, and, and, and verbal action is binding. Those are very common rules that every poker player should adhere to, and only the uh, you know the angle shooters and and the people who are looking to get a, a, you know a, a, what I call a dishonest uh, you know advantage you know use that against the other players. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well let's give you a final update on the uh, championship tournament of the uh, Rock and Roll Poker Open. We were at 22 players, I believe. And uh, last players eliminated were the f- day one chip leader, Audrius Stakalis, Jeffrey Hunm, Jerry Wong, Victor Figueroa, and Carlos Guerrero all eliminated, which leaves us down to the final 17. And they will be back tomorrow, and I believe they'll play from 17 to 6 tomorrow. And then the final table on Wednesday. Final table on Wednesday. Hopefully I get a chance to watch that. Okay. Thanks for uh, being with us, everybody. Uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Joe, thank you as well for uh, everything you do for the show, and uh, pizza included. There you go. T- today today I bought the pizza <laughs> and the seppelis. And Gio, thank you as well for everything. Uh, we'll be back with another show next week. We hope you'll join us then. I'm Big Dave Lemon saying so long till next week from Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 